Welcome to episode 83 of the Numbers Game podcast and a little bit of a different look this week. Uh, the two stars of the show, Marty Vitakovic and Jason Robinson are both not here. Um, Marty uh, is getting his hip replaced, so he's going to come back bigger, better, stronger, faster. Uh, Jace, on the other hand, is in, in the UK at a wedding, so he's going to come back uh, fatter and slower, so quite the opposite <laughs> yeah, to, yes. to Marty. So <laughs> I do have um, our producer with me today, helping me out, making this sound okay. Tommy, welcome. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. I mean, it's um, those circumstances. We've got the polar opposites, but um, I'll do what I can, and I'll, uh, I've got some questions that the boys have sent through, so that's my job. I'll be throwing them in, but we also have a great guest today, don't we, Nick? We do. We have Adrian Hondros, a very close friend of mine, a mentor, just a brilliant person, um, both in and out of the uh, the business circles. So welcome, Adrian. Thank great you. to have you on episode 83 of The Numbers Game. Very kind, mate. Thank you. Appreciate it. Looking forward to unpacking a little bit today um, about your own career and um, yeah, you've been a massive help to me over the journey since we've met. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we can share some of that gold to some of our listeners because um, I know I personally get a lot of value out of having you um, as a mentor. So let's get into it. Looking forward to it. Let's play. Sorry, I forgot about the let's play. <laughs> Marty, if you're listening, going, who's going to say let's play? Who's going to say let's play? <laughs> Just on Marty, actually, he's only... I think tomorrow is two weeks out of uh, his hip replacement and I'm already pushing him to not come back into work. Yeah, he sent a um, – I think he's still drugged up on painkillers and he sent a, a text on Sunday saying, I think I'm good. I think I can come back on Tuesday and start doing work stuff. <laughs> so, you're not, mate. I'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. So, Hondo, I'm going to call you Hondo. Well, you're okay with that? Yes. Yeah. Um, so what I'd like to unpack firstly, you have a very, um, you, you've had a great career really um, in business and in, in corporate. So I would like you, if you could, to to unpack that a little bit um, and give us a bit of a, a background on that. And where I'm going with this is, you know, what are some key defining moments throughout your career that have, I guess, brought you to where you are today, um, which is... Um, consulting now and sharing some of your knowledge uh, with businesses like ours. So, yeah, bit a bit of background on where you started, where you've come from, and um, some key moments that have brought to well made the Adrian Hondros it is today. Okay, well, thank you, Nick, and thanks, Tommy, for having me, and welcome everyone listening in. So, really appreciate the opportunity. Um, very challenging to unpack thirty-five years <laughs> in a few minutes. So, uh, I'll just do a little bit of. A little bit of context and yeah perhaps hit on a couple of things so uh, always been uh well mostly in financial services as you're across nick so kicked off uh just briefly kicked off uh as a graduate trainee at national mutual at 111 st george's terrace in perth uh and um in those years some of your listeners might remember perhaps many don't even know <laughs> in those years national mutual was one of the one of the six pillars, there was the two big insurance companies and the four banks. Uh, used to get called the six pillars, now gets called basically the big four banks. Uh, so it was a great way to start because big company, lots of frameworks, as I say, a graduate trainee, graduate program, a lot of training, uh, a lot of support, which is what big companies, I think, bring people, especially people, young people starting out in their career. Uh, and one of the defining moments was I met a gentleman called Owen Stickles, who was a former Royal Australian Air Force pilot that then became a stage actor. And he got given the assignment to train that 1987 trainee cohort uh, on how to speak publicly and how to present um, uh, on stage. So I was very fortunate early on to have had someone like Owen Stickles come along and help. Uh, helped me with my training and development in terms of being able to conduct myself on stage and present on stage. And uh, a lot of people would know this, um, certainly being able to publicly present competently is a really important part of any, I think, almost any successful career, especially in large corporates, but also uh, if you're in your own business and you've got opportunities to promote and present your business, clearly if you can do that effectively and competently or even impress people from time to time on stage, it's a good thing 
good thing to do. So after a few years at uh, the National Mutual, uh, I actually moved to Melbourne with my wife, Emma, in 1994. Again, financial services, part of a company called Sealcorp. Important to mention then they were a digital innovator at a time where digital innovation wasn't a thing. <laughs> so, so in 1994-95, I can remember trying to convince a whole bunch of accountants to get email addresses. They didn't seem to see the point of that. <laughs> so it's hard to believe that. Uh, please buy a computer. Please get an email address. <laughs> <laughs> so we were working with accountants and financial advisors uh, and building uh, platforms for them to provide competent financial advice and to record the value of their clients' investments, etc. Uh, and uh, it was an interesting time because people weren't quite sure how important computers and digital was going to actually be. The World Wide Web was new. As I say, email addresses were new. Some of them were saying to me, they've just bought a new fax machine. What do I want a computer for? <laughs> I'm like, get rid of the fax machine, mate. <laughs> We're done it pretty quick. <laughs> so they were good times. Australian-owned organisation, very innovative, ended up getting bought out by St George Bank for almost $300 million. So the owners at Silcorp, understandably and um, deservedly did well. And then uh, moved on to IWF in Melbourne, uh, still around today. I've been around for you know, well well over 100, 100 years or so. It might be even more like 150, actually, uh, and had the opportunity to lead financial planning business there, and that was a baptism by fire. I had some pretty interesting people I was dealing with, and I was a young, and when I say young, I was a young general manager uh, really trying to evolve and grow a financial planning business within the IWF group, and we had strong affiliation with Trades Hall and the ACTU, and uh, again, great opportunity, but certainly very, very challenging at the time, uh, but learned a great deal um, in those years. Uh, I was only 33, uh, 32, 33 as a general manager, so I had a lot to learn, but they were great years and actually got my first directorship during those years as well, which was really important as part of the evolution. Uh, and certainly, if I was to fast forward to now, certainly the director experience is just such a valuable thing to get as early as possible in your career if you can. And then rolled on to um, Lendlease, MLC Lendlease in Sydney by a gentleman called Steve Tucker, another guy called Matt Lawler, who helped me get the opportunity to join MLC Lendlease in Sydney, again, leading a financial advice business. But moments after arriving, we got taken out by National Australia Bank. And so my dream of working with Lendlease MLC, which was an amazing organisation, great culture, and I knew a lot of wonderful people there vaporised as National Australia Bank, bought MLC from Lendlease and I ended up being NAB MLC, which worked out extremely well, but it wasn't the plan. So I've only actually ever applied to work for one bank, but I've ended up working for three. The other two ended up acquiring me. <laughs> so <laughs> these things happen. Got to go with the flow sometimes. So NAB was fantastic, uh, great place to be. MLC, wonderful organisation, and uh, learned a great deal about wealth management again, further financial advice and a really important mentor of mine that came along, Mr. Dick Morath, originally from Lendlease, uh, and then came into the MLC business. And I still have contact with Dick today, so this is in the early 2000s, uh, really important mentor and guide of mine. He basically taught me everything I know about leading and, leading and uh, governing a board and how to conduct yourself as a director and on a board. And uh, again, just blessed to have someone like that that came along at that time uh, to help me in that regard. Uh, so, yeah, NAB and MLC rolled on, uh, National Australia Financial Planning, uh, National Australia Private Bank were the two main things that I did there, leading those businesses across Australia and Asia. And then um, was fortunate just before the, well, unfortunate as the story goes, just before the GFC started, I was fortunate. I thought I was pretty smart. I um, uh, got a job with HBOS, which, was, which is the big, UK bank, uh, and they were masters of the universe, according to them, um, in 2006 and 2007 and 2008. And as it turned out, they didn't know a lot about banking and hadn't quite got it right. And the GFC came along and they fell to their knees, literally. And um, I'd only arrived there a few months earlier and uh, uh, the reserve, sorry, the um, uh, Bank of England called the Reserve Bank of Australia and asked if they knew anyone willing to buy the HBOS Australian assets. And the Reserve Bank of Australia said, maybe give Commonwealth Bank a call. <laughs> so 
but they did allegedly. And Commonwealth Bank ended up buying the company I was chief executive of, uh, St Andrews Australia, which is a part of the HBOS group. And that then gave me the opportunity, despite the pain of the GFC and again, getting bought and sold, but that gave me the opportunity to lead Commonwealth Bank's private bank, which I think was probably, to part of your question, I think it was part of a defining moment for me. I think that um, being bought at a fire sale during the GFC, coming into an organisation that I had no prior really contact with at all and had no plan to go there, uh, and then having to realise that the most important thing that my, t- my people and I could do, there was about 400 of us at St Andrews, was just present the best that we could be. So we just needed to make sure that we presented ourselves in a positive light. Uh, while none of this was on our plan, we just needed to make sure that we did everything we could to present positively, to be optimistic and to find a path through what was a very challenging time. And that worked out really well um, for all concerned. And as I said, I got the opportunity to lead National, uh, sorry, lead Commonwealth Bank's private bank for about eight years from 2009 post the post the GFC, which I think was a defining, probably defining moment for me career-wise. It could have gone pretty badly. It went really well, which was great. Obviously, always grateful for that. And thankfully, the Commonwealth Bank share price rallied through those years, and that enabled us to educate our children. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know what we would have done without it. <laughs> um, for everyone's been uh, four children. They're all adults now, but they weren't then. <laughs> yeah. So that was a bit challenging, but thankfully it was an amazing rally of the CBA share price from about 2008 through to about um, 2017, 2016. Um, oh, you're a big part of that, so well, – you know? I played a small part, but um, <laughs> it was very, very fortunate. Uh, so that was really fantastic experience, um, and you know, dealing with the dealing with the wealthiest, and I would argue some of the best clients of the Commonwealth Bank Group was just an amazing experience. You really get to meet some outstanding people who have done amazing things with their businesses and their lives, and there's a lot to be a lot to be learned from that. And one of the innovations there, I know you're interested to be aware of some of the things that's that have been done. So one of the innovations there was that uh, there's a notion of private office, family office that some people may have heard of. And typically um, when families have sort of 10 to $20 million or more of sort of investable assets, they sort of need another service. So one of the things we did is we established Commonwealth Bank's private office within the private bank and were dealing with families that were certainly measuring their wealth in tens of millions or hundreds of millions. Uh, And we were winning winning those families over from places they previously received that sort of advice from. So we felt really, really good about that. It was all with all the right intent. And we had enormous sponsorship for me and RF, the CEO at the time. So that was a wonderful experience and just a real privilege to work with people that have had such accomplished lives and usually are doing so many great things for others that you don't usually hear about. But as their banker, you get to see what they're actually doing. And a lot of them are doing some really wonderful things for others, less fortunate in the community, which is uh, obviously a wonderful thing. Uh, and as you know, Nick, uh, then there was a big change uh, for me career-wise. I'd been in financial services since 1987. And in 2015, uh, just prior to the big change, I had the opportunity to go to INSEAD in France, just south of Paris in Fontainebleau. There's a massive castle that Napoleon built there, a chateau, I should say. It looks like a cross between a chateau and a castle. It's probably only the only second to Versailles in terms of its size and scale. And it's right in the middle of this town. <laughs> so it's an interesting place uh, and a, a privilege to be there. But uh, INSEAD have this amazing program called the Advanced Management Program. We were cohort 105 and it's a global program. So there were 60 people from around the globe and we spent a month together on campus in Fontainebleau. This is all courtesy of the Commonwealth Bank. Uh, NRF at the time, the CEO thought it was time that I went and did something different, have a bit of a break from things and, and develop and grow. Uh, and at the end of that month in INSEAD's campus in Fontainebleau, uh, I came back after some travel with family and friends and decided I needed to move on from the Commonwealth Bank. So <laughs> I don't know whether that was their plan or not, but that's what happened. <laughs> uh, you know, 50,000 euros later and I'm like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that pivotal next. moment. <laughs> Uh, and that took a few months to work out, but to their credit, they certainly treated me very well and it was a great way to depart and it really caused me to think what I want to do. So I called Egon Zender, the executive recruitment firm, in February of 2016 and said, what have you got? 
Uh, so I'm looking for a chief executive role. I want to be a chief executive of a whole company, not a subsidiary. Um, and they said, oh, well, there's this building company in Melbourne and they build a lot of houses and they're well known in Melbourne and et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, okay, I'm up for a discussion. So I met the owners of Porter Davis at the time and still the owners, Anthony Roberts and Paul Wolf. Steve Tanky was owner at the time as well. Anthony's the um, founding, founding shareholder and owner. And uh, with the chairman, Bruno Sandy, and a bunch of other people made the decision once I was offered to take the role of chief executive of Porter Davis. So 30 or so years in financial services, wealth management and banking, and here I am leading a construction company. Um, and, you know, pretty challenging, I'd argue a bit scary um, to start with, but a very challenging experience, a real privilege to have that opportunity. And what I was wanting to demonstrate to all and sundry, first and foremost myself, was that you can actually take what you've learned in other industries and apply them to a different industry. And I knew literally nothing about building homes, but they had hundreds and hundreds of people who knew a lot about it. What they didn't need was another one of those. What they needed was someone with a fresh pair of eyes and a different perspective. And the owners, to their credit, knew that and so went looking for someone different. Uh, and I'm sure the, you know, I, was, I think it was day three, I was, on, I was on stage day three at the One Tribe event, which was a regular event at Porter Davis in front of all of the colleagues. And I have no doubt looking into the eyes, especially the construction guys, looking into their eyes, I'm sure they were thinking, what is this guy doing here? What on earth could he possibly do for us? He knows nothing about houses in terms of how to build them. Uh, but I took, I took a little bit of time to help explain the why and then sort of talked a bit about my history in regards to things that we've done, including the fact that um, I was brought up in a household in Perth that was a home building real estate company. Dad was a, a proprietor of a business that he'd built up over many years. A few peaks and troughs in that experience, as many business owners will know, but at one stage, he was building more houses in Perth than any other home builder. Uh, so I had that in my blood. I just didn't have any practical experience and very little knowledge. <laughs> I kind of liked the fact that I had it in my blood. It was really handy, actually, to roll that out. <laughs> so great experience, amazing organisation, Porter Davis, and obviously I was privileged to be CEO there for, uh, for almost six years. Uh, and, again, sort of some of the defining moments. COVID's without doubt, I know everyone tuning in would agree that COVID's everyone's defining moment in most recent times. And we were sitting there in March of 2020, mid-March, we hadn't sent everyone home yet, and just trying to work out what was actually happening. And we were about to launch a new brand called PDX, and PDX was all about digitally enabling the home building experience. And I was fortunate to be surrounded by some pretty smart people, and we'd come up with this idea based on research that... Um, a lot of home, a lot of people looking at buying a home wanted to do so at their, own, at their own pace, in their own lounge room, digitally enabled, do their own research, make their own decisions. Yes, they can contact us if they want to, but if they don't want to, talk to a salesperson or have any contact. They just wanted to go on, get on with the process digitally and do their own thing. So online shopping for building a home, basically. Uh, and we've done our research and we were ready to roll. And literally, we stared at each other and thought, is this the moment to be launching a new brand and a new business into whatever this COVID thing is? And I had quite a few people saying to me, don't. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe actually launching a digital business at this moment is probably the right thing to do, not the wrong thing to do. And also, uh, you know, we were convinced we'd done the work, we'd done the research, we knew it was going to be successful. It seemed like such a shame to pause based on something of which we couldn't even define. We didn't even know what was going to happen with COVID. So thankfully, as I say, into the COVID fog, we launched the new uh, PDX business, um, sold hundreds and hundreds of homes via that platform uh, in that first year or so of the business in the guts of COVID, as it turned out, as you would fully appreciate with hindsight. What better time to launch a digital business? <laughs> but who would know, right? How would you know that? And we didn't know. But I've always had the philosophy, and I know you want me to talk a little bit about sort of what's worked. I've always had the philosophy that you just don't know unless you try and you just put the ball into play. You know, it might bounce back into your hands. You might kick a goal. So <laughs> if you don't put the ball into play, it won't bounce into your hands. You will not kick a goal. I can guarantee it. So it's really, um, it's it was just another, yeah, it was a, different contextual experience, but it was just another example of if you've done your homework, you've done your research, you're ready to roll, 
go for it. Don't pause. There's always reasons to pause. And I think that everyone should remember that if you pause, nothing will happen. You should go ahead if you're well-researched and well-prepared, despite the context, despite, you know, talk of recession at the moment, all those sorts of things, push on, I would say. Get on mm. with it. There's always reasons to pause, and usually they're not valid. Yeah, uh, and, and a calculated risk at the yeah. same time, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's a well-established business that's, that's working well, and this is something else. So I think I listened to Ned Brockman on a podcast the, um, the other day. Um, and for those who don't know Ned Brockman, he's the guy that just ran – uh, 100Ks for 40 days, I think, from Perth to Sydney. A legend. Um, a legend. <laughs> His podcast. Uh, what's that? Sorry? Slow to Bondi. Yeah, unbelievable. So he, um, I listened to the Imperfects podcast with him, which was really good. And he said he's, his motto is just, just keep showing up, you know, like some of the stuff that he said he'd been through um, adversity-wise and some of the thoughts through his head. Through his head. But all, he just had to keep progressing. No matter what was happening, he just had to show up. And every, he showed up every day, and within 20Ks, he felt okay, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing stuff. He was running a marathon in the morning, and then basically one in the afternoon, and then a bit more before dinner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just insane. Like, it's just incredible. That's incredible. Well, I think, Adrian, you've experienced some of those harder times within the financial sector and then obviously through the building sector. Are you listening to your mind? Because most people will naturally be panicking or they're – Head will be telling them one thing, you know, and in the case of talking about that young bloke, Ned, he he's experiencing something, but he's deciding not to go with it. Was that a similar experience to you where your mind is saying, oh, no, this could be bad, but you're just choosing to choose, uh, you know, a different way of approaching it? Yeah, so, Tommy, I think everyone's got, like, the positive voice and the negative voice and they're vying for your attention, <laughs> Um, and certainly in times of adversity, fear takes over. So my observation would be that in times of adversity, fear takes over, and a lot of that fear is actually irrational. It's not based on any fact. There's no data to support it. It's pure fear. A lot of it's stoked by social media and traditional media. And so people, I think, become, like they almost overcompensate. They become unnecessarily fearful of what might happen or what could happen in time of adversity, and that's the negative voice that's sort of trying to win the argument and then there's the rational, positive voice uh, that's you know, done the work and understands the data and is ready to roll or ready to make the next decision. And uh, I think it's important to acknowledge that both those voices are typically there. Uh, and everyone has some doubt. I wouldn't dream of suggesting I haven't had moments of doubt or moments of significant doubt. Uh, and obviously things have gone right and things have gone wrong over the years. But I think what's really important is to back yourself. And even if there's hesitation due to what, people are saying around you and there'll be a lot of voices often that will come forward and say don't you shouldn't don't you shouldn't um lots of voices i mean a lot of people said to me why would you quit your job at the commonwealth bank and go and run a construction company in melbourne like what are you doing like literally what are you doing <laughs> um, yeah and that's that's understandable i've had a lot of people say to me recently with the launch of our new consulting business Hondras consulting uh, didn't take long to work out the name. Uh, a lot of people said to me, why would you quit a job that most people would spend all of their career hoping to get to, to go and do something else? I'm like, well, because I'm done. It's, it's done. Adrian, is this the same people that were asking the Commonwealth Bank question? Maybe it's <laughs> yeah. just your circle of friends that yeah. are saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, there could be a few, few in that common set there. I think yeah. people are, I think the questions or the commentary, it's coming from a, I think typically it's often coming from a good place. They're sort of trying to protect you or they're trying to understand. One of the things I've noticed is, Tommy, that um, people get a bit scared when they see someone doing something different. So if, if, they, if they have a perception that you're, and I think a lot of my cohort would say consistent and reliable and structured and deliberate, all those sorts of things, if I then all of a sudden break left, I think it causes some people to go, what is happening? And, and I do think that when you see someone do something different, it sometimes causes you to then question what you're doing. And people can find that a little bit scary. So I think there's an element of that. I think most of the commentary is coming from a good place. It just sometimes comes across a bit negative. Uh, but I do think that um, uh, pushing on and letting the positive voice win the argument, uh, and you've just got to find out. I mean, I often say... As we all know, we've only got one 
stint on planet Earth. So it'd be a bit of a shame to have a list of things that you didn't do at the end of your stint where you thought, well, actually, I could have done that. Why didn't I do it? So I'd be like, well, better to try and fail than not have tried at all. And quite frankly, you don't ever really fail. You just learn and then reset and go again. So um, I think that's sort of important. There's been an important part of the philosophy. Nico, can, can I throw in a question from Marty? Here, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is coming yeah. to you from the couch at Marty's joint. Yeah. He's um, he's pretty happy. He's on a few painkillers and he's sent us this one. Um, I want to have what he's having, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We all do. Um, Marty says, having transitioned from CEO of Porter Davis to running your own business, what have been some of the difficult parts of starting and running your own business that you didn't expect? Yeah, so I don't think there's been too much that I didn't expect. It's not. Yeah, I hadn't done it before, so therefore wasn't absolutely sure what it would be like. I knew some things I needed to make sure I had in place that I was properly managing myself. So I feel I've got a reasonable level of self-awareness. I know what I need to do to get the best out of myself. And I think everyone needs to evolve and grow in that regard. And part of that is by listening to others over the years. I knew I needed structure. So Leaving an organisation like Porter Davis where there's you know, hundreds and hundreds of employees and thousands of contractors building thousands of homes a year, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you're really at the centre of a very busy universe at a company like that. So people are constantly demanding your time, constantly emailing, constantly calling, like there's no real respite. So that's very different <laughs> to hanging out your own shingle <laughs> And there's and my wife and I, Emma and I, are in the business together, but it's basically just her and I is the summary. And so we are very fortunate to have a wonderful connection with a lady by the name of Janae Jean-Jean, who's the managing director of Boston Global out of Boston. So Janae and her team do a great deal of work for us in the consulting business, and we're very appreciative of that. But here in Australia, it's just the two of us. So I knew because of that, the risk was was that I was going to feel a bit lonely or a bit alone and it was going to be a bit quiet, as in too quiet. Um, so I thought I'm just going to make sure I've got the right structure around me. So as Nick's aware, Club of United Business is a really important part of my structure. So um, Daniel Harkham and Anthony Mullane and the team have built this amazing business over the last seven years across Sydney and Melbourne, which is all about business proprietors, connecting with other business proprietors, founders, business owners, entrepreneurs, supporting each other, having a place to work from if you want it, but attending professional events and social events and directly supporting each other. That's how Nick and I met. So um, it's real and it works. So Club of United Business has been really critical and it really has replaced sort of the place to go. So Cub is really my place of work. And so whether it's Melbourne, whether it's Sydney, they're going to be opening in Brisbane in 2023, um, that's, that's where I go. So I knew I needed that and I'd suggest anybody doing what I've done, going from a company, setting up their own thing, you need somewhere to go. You need somewhere where you still feel like you belong. And I think places like Cub um, are classic for that. So that's been really important. So I knew that. And to Marty's question, I knew it would be difficult if I didn't get that right. Um, and I was fortunate to have known Cub for many years and been a member there. So that bit was relatively easy to neutralise that risk. I think another thing was having come out of a big company and only ever worked in big companies, for the you know the 35 years prior i'm just used to structure and consistency and knowing that the diary needs to be properly organized and there are people you need to there are places you need to be and things you need to do and there's others relying on it etc cetera, etc cetera. so i was very keen to make sure that i built a credible plan so jason robinson of future advisory um who'd be known to everyone tuning in uh, so he's helped me uh, in a very important way to build out the financial plan. So it's really important to me to know what it is I'm trying to achieve, why I'm trying to achieve and how I'm going to get there. If I've got those three things lined up and I suggest that those three things, every business proprietor must have lined up and must continually revisit. If I've got that lined up, I can run through walls. So if I know that I've got my monthly cash flows done to the end of July, end of June, 2024, uh, and I've got my pipeline of opportunities I know the clients I'm currently working with. I know the ones I might be working with soon. I know what I'm meant to be doing with them, how I'm meant to be doing it, why I'm doing it. I can handle any ambiguity, any uncertainty, any unexpected outcome because of the structure and the process and the discipline. But that's me and I know I'm that way. Uh, my experience with 
other people's businesses is that they're probably not as organised as they should be and they don't have the structure and discipline in place that they should have. I'm not saying they don't think they should do it. I'm just not sure they do it. And to me, that's really important. And I have learnt that in big business, but it absolutely applies to small business, I'd argue, more so uh, because you don't have an army of people around you. Often it's you and a handful of others or you and a couple of dozen other people and you need that framework, that process, that discipline around you. So that, that's been, I think, to Marty's question, all those things have been really important. And so it's caused it to be probably less challenging than I thought it might be because I knew myself so well and I also had time to prepare. So I didn't, I didn't hit the ground um, you know, at a standstill on the 1st of July of 2022. I hit the ground running on the 1st of July 2022. So that having those plans in place um, has also helped to mitigate what might have been um, you know, more challenging than it has been. Having said that, you know, there's been a few bits and pieces. You've got to set up companies and you're setting up accounts and just organising the right credit cards. You've got to set up, we set up the zero accounting software, which looks pretty good. And Jason and his team at Future Advisory run that for us. So, you know, we had to put the legal structures in place and all those sorts of things. We've done some promotion recently on LinkedIn and Instagram. We had our first client event in Sydney um, on the 15th of November. So, yeah, so this website's branding, there's stuff that needs to get done. I don't think, I don't know whether there's a perfect order to all of that, uh, but they, they all need to be attended to. And some of them are obviously basic and there's all the uh, bureaucratic regulatory stuff that comes along. You know, we were halfway through planning then the director ID requirement came along, need to make sure we got that done like every other director in Australia. Uh, yeah, so all those things come along. So there's been bits and pieces, but I wouldn't think any of them are uh, overly challenging, but there's just a lot to a lot to get done at once. That kind of, you've probably answered the other question too, um, which I also think came from Marty. It's just something I picked up there was, yeah, you're now having to do all of the stuff that you probably used to outsource, right? <laughs> well spotted. <laughs> Zero exactly marketing, right. but at the end of the day, you've been a CEO, so you've run an entire organisation. So you, know, you were definitely well positioned to be able to run your own business. But I like how you said that with small business, it is more important because there isn't. There's no fallback. Correct. You know, if you haven't got your director ID, well, you get fined. Uh, if the cash flows aren't done, you run out of money. Correct. So I, I, I like how you said that's. That's something with corporate that you've learned that's probably more important in small business. And I can attest to that from starting a small business and then growing. I remember when we started, I used to do everything. I used to come in on a Saturday, I've spoken about this, and do, and do the books. And so it's because it, the buck stops with you, yeah. basically, just, just on a different scale. Yeah, totally um, agree. You contemplate doing the books, but I'm like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, make, and as you know, they're masters at zero, so I've got the right team on the right platform doing the right work for me, which is good because obviously I'm better off using my time to be dealing directly with clients and not doing the books. So The other thing that um, you picked up there, which I think is important because this is something that you've challenged me on, um, but was uh, obviously you're a member of Cub, but just networking in general and meeting people. Um, you know, it's not something that I wouldn't say I don't enjoy it, but I tend to stick to what I know as far as networking goes. And one of the things that you challenged me on recently was, you know, to say yes to something that you'd usually say no to, <laughs> um, which I've done yeah. in the last month. You'd be happy to know, yeah. and 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 it has worked. And um, a part of my role now, we're probably almost at the opposite ends of the scale where I'm now handing off a lot of stuff that I used to deal with and, and, and my role is about learning and speaking to people like yourself and uh, I spoke with a director this morning of a business that's probably five years ahead of ours. So yeah. I think as a small business owner, you know, things like this podcast are great but you really have to get out and meet and talk to people that are doing things um, that you want to do uh, at some stage, so they're either ahead of their journey, um, or you know they're, they're they're in completely different industries, and you might pick something pick something up that you didn't know, or like you met, you mentioned with the the CBA, yeah. like meeting these people that have mm. got generations of wealth and some of the the things you learnt from them. So it's something that I've had to really work on, but I would encourage people to to get out, meet people, network, be part of a group. Because you just don't know. You just don't know who you're going to meet. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I know, I understand people are busy and they're thinking, have I got time to do that? I'd say it's just essential, particularly, again, if you're in your own business uh, and um, you know, you're, keen, you're always going to learn from others. So I do genuinely believe that 
And we're all the same, you know, sometimes there's something in the diary thinking, oh, I can't be bothered going to that. <laughs> and it's always worth going, always worth going. If you're willing to, you know, work the room, meet people, like deliberately meet people you don't know, find out what they're doing, how they're doing it. You just never know what that might lead to. Every single conversation is an opportunity to grow, to develop. You might meet a someone that becomes a friend for life. They might be a business partner. They might be a client. They could be a mentor. Who knows? They could be anything. But if you didn't actually go and meet them, you would never have known. So I do think there's a lot to be said for, you've got to stay reasonably active and I think reasonably willing to put yourself out there and connect. Uh, it just can lead to so many wonderful outcomes. And if you turn up, then you've got half a chance. Mm. Is that a strategy uh, that you handed off to Nick, try something or say yes to something? Is that something you do for yourself, Adrian? Yeah, so... I hope so. Uh, <laughs> That's what we're getting to. Yeah, so I'd say I'm reasonably overt <laughs> in getting out and about, but not be an unfair statement. I can attest to that. So, yeah, so I do like to be – I like to use my opportunities. So, for example, you know, we live in Sydney. We've got a place in Melbourne. When I'm in Melbourne, I want to be active, for example. So pretty well every day, every night, there'll be something locked in uh, to make sure that I'm reconnecting with someone or – going to something or meeting someone. Uh, yeah, so that, that's, I do think, I do give that my advice, that advice to myself and I do, I do follow it. Um, I just like being, I like being active and I like being connected with other people through their events or attending something or just having a one-on-one -on -one coffee or dinner with someone and just catching up what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, it's just, yeah, there's always gold in, in all the conversations. So, yeah, I think I am deliberately overt in that regard. And, Adrian, working coming from such a vast corporate background, working with such big brands that you are able to, as much as you are leading them, you are also, you know, a part of them, yeah. which, you know, helps. And I know from running my own small business, from the beginning, I don't have a brand to sit behind, not even personally. And I know that's changed over the years for myself, but, you know, you, yourself working with people, what's your advice or, you know, tools for people who don't have an established brand to sit behind or their name isn't even established as yet? Yeah, so it's a great, it's a great question. So I think it's just really important for someone that's either starting out in business or starting out in their career. I think it's really important to give some thought to, and, and I've had this said to me, so as a very accomplished uh, business person in Australia called Lorna Inman. Um, so Lorna was on the Commonwealth Bank board as a principal board member, uh, held very senior roles at Billabong Target, so very accomplished. And at, um, at one of the Porter Davis board meetings, she said to me and to the board, what do you want to be famous for? I'm like, oh, that's a cool question. <laughs> need to think about this. Uh, and I did take it on notice and we did take some time to think about it. So it's a great question for everyone to ask themselves. What do you want to be famous for? What do you want to be known for? So whether it's you and your own personal brand and career or whether it's your business, it's a great question to ask yourself uh, or as a business proprietor to ask yourself in regards to your business. And what it's literally saying is when you're not there, what is it you want people to be saying about you or about your business? And that is a really interesting thing to contemplate because it really is the end of the day reputation and reputation is everything. And so while you start your career or you start your business, you haven't had the chance yet to build that reputation, but in due course you do and you will. And it's just so unbelievable. It's the most important asset that a business person or someone in their career or someone just in their personal lives. It's the most important asset you can have. What is your reputation? What do people say about you when you're not there? You cannot influence that conversation. You're not there. You don't even know what's going on, but they're talking about you. So I do think it's just a really simple but very helpful thing to be contemplating uh, in terms of what do you want to be famous for? What do you want to be known for? What do you want others to say about you? That is the litmus test. And it's much more powerful than money and it's much more powerful than your resume or whatever the awards are in the cabinet, whatever it is, right? It's the most powerful thing what others say about you. Absolute gold there, particularly around just, yeah, there's, there's so much, particularly the structure stuff. And uh, I think back to the networking stuff, I think that needs to be part of your diary, really. And that's that's one of the things that I've done and that's really helped to me. It's, it's actually a non-negotiable, the same as it is doing your cold calling if you're in sales or 
you know, or your cash flows on a monthly basis, put in the diary and, and make it part of your job. It's so important. Um, switching a little bit, switching topics. Um, one of your strengths that I've found in working with you is is strategy, and uh, I think there's some um, there's a benefit to talking about this, particularly given we've got a lot of small business um, people, and you've really simplified that for us and and our business. Like business plans are almost a little bit daunting because you know you can spend a day away with a group and you come back and you've got to put together a five or six page document and um, it can just be daunting and half the time you don't you don't do half the things in the plan. So what I really like that you've helped me with, which I think is worth talking about, is simplifying it into one page, so strategy on a page. Um, there's a lot there's a lot that goes behind that page, obviously. Um, and but then that strategy has to be there has to be key metrics in that strategy that determine whether or not you're you're hitting your goals. So for us, it was growth and net profit margins, for example. Um, and the other thing I really like is the is that it's dynamic. So it doesn't have to be a ten year business plan. Who can write a ten year business plan? You don't know. You know, we talked about COVID before. Things could completely shift, and not just from the fact that there was a pandemic, but for our business, it meant that technology uh, went to another level, which meant we could be more efficient. Now, that's one of the good things that happened over over COVID. So that changed our strategy a little bit. So maybe unpack for our small business people a little bit about that. Where would you start? If you could give us just, you know, two or three minutes of developing a strategy and making it simple, I think that would be really beneficial. Yeah, no, thank you, Nick. So strategy on a page, I had the opportunity to first come across the approach at the start of my tenure with Commonwealth Bank's private bank. Um, we called in Bain & Co, one of the big consulting firms, and Gary Turner was the managing director of Australia at the time for Bain & Co, still is, I think. Um, so he and the team helped develop this notion of strategy on a page back in 2009 um, for CBA's private bank. And in a, so this is in the big company context, as you say, it's absolutely just as applicable, if not more applicable in small to medium enterprise. So it, what it's all about is synthesizing exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're doing it, and what it is you expect to achieve. And if you can't get that onto a page, you just haven't thought about it hard enough. So you need to think about it, and I know you've been through it recently, Nick, you've just got to keep thinking about it, keep working it, keep effectively recutting it, and get yourself down to a very clear plan that says, this is what we're about, this is how we're going to go about it, this is what we expect to achieve, and this is how we're going to measure that achievement. And that is essentially all that you're doing. Any strategy document is that. That's what it's trying to do. And yes, you might end up with something sitting behind it that's many, many pages. But in essence, when all's said and done, if you can actually succinctly synthesize those key questions, whether it's a sole proprietor or a um, large listed corporate, Everyone has the same challenge of working out what do we want to do, how are we going to do it, how are we going to measure success, how are we going to go about it. Those things are just so critical. And there's this beautiful clarity that's achieved by having it on one page. Use it with business partners, use it with the people that work in the business. It might be appropriate to use it with suppliers or whoever the other third parties or supporting parties might be. And it's great for the business proprietor because it's what you hold on to. It's really sort of your touchstone so when in days of ambiguity or there's something that's gone wrong, you look back and say, okay, that's what it's about. It doesn't sit in a drawer and get forgotten. It's on the screensaver. It's a poster on the wall. It's a slide in every presentation. It's all those things. And so it's really just about empowering and enabling the effort. So I know on your wall, Nick and Innovate, you've got where the focus yes. goes, the energy flows. Staring at yes. it. Yes. That's it. Yep. Yeah. So you're looking at it now. That's it. <laughs> Just checking I got that right. And that's, and that's what the strategy on a page is about. It's about bringing clarity and focus. And therefore, your efforts and energy, the efforts and the energy of the people around you, they know what it is it's trying to be achieved. They know how to go about it. They know what's going to be achieved by way of measurement. And so that's where all the energy goes. It goes where the focus is. So it's, a, I think, a very, very simple but powerful tool and it avoids people getting lost in too much detail. And I think one of my observations in business is that people get lost in a lot of detail. They need to pull back, 
what's the most important things that we need to be on top of? Let's get those things done and everything else will flow. But those most important things, the three, the four, the five things that every business must make sure that they're tackling to achieve their goals and their ambitions, they're the sorts of things that sit on the strategy on the page. It sounds great. I, I like the simplicity of it. How big can the font be? Like, is it? <laughs> <laughs> You've been talking to Nick. <laughs> uh, yes, I mean, I've had those questions. No, the font can't be so small that you can't read it. It has to be like no, that's, reasonable that's font. No, I, there, I mean, for anyone who's at a sticking point where they feel like they can't do it, I know you, you'd said that it's just you haven't given it enough thought. But genuinely, I've found that a lot of people, even ask, answering the question for themselves, what does success look like? It can be tricky because you're balancing what you want and what you wish you could have with where you are right now. And so what, what are some of those tools to maybe move you past uh, the sticking point if this is a bit of a challenge for, for a business? Great question. Everyone faces crossroads uh, at certain times, either in their career, in their business, in their personal life. So typically... One or not typically, one of the best ways or a very good way of breaking the deadlock, if you like, is you turn to someone else. So you turn to the business, your business mentor, you turn to someone that you trust in your life, you turn to a consulting business like mine, um, and you have you spend some time. You've got to you've got to get it out of your head and get it into the universe. You've got to have the conversation. You need a process and structure to help break the deadlock that you might have reached around what the sticking points are and how we're going to move forward. So I do think that um, there's enormous value in having a proper conversation with someone that you know and trust, someone that you know has got the either experience or capability to help you, and that can be a range of different people in your life, and they could come from seriously different areas. Uh, But it's just so important to have at least one person to turn to in that regard. And I think it can be lonely in in um, people's own businesses. Um, certainly my experience so far over the last five or six months, I think a lot of my clients are saying to me that part of the value is literally just having somewhere to turn and to have someone to talk to that actually understands what they're trying to achieve and how they're going about it and um, can bring empathy and insight and support. So as I say, whether it's someone in your personal life, your business life, whatever it is, you need somewhere to turn to and preferably have a relatively structured, deliberate conversation. But I do think we all reach moments where it needs to be talked through and there's no obvious answer or answers until you've actually had that proper, thorough conversation. I couldn't agree more. I think the um, where we are very lucky in our business is we've got uh, a number of leaders and we are all on the same page and we just, we're, we're literally talking all day. Before the day starts, after the day starts, there's text messages. Um, And then to add another layer to that, I've said this before, but the best thing that we have done in the last two years is create that advisory board that you're a part of. And I think what that has done beyond the business partners is accountability and structure and actually having someone else to answer to outside of the business. You said you were going to do this. This was your plan. Did you do it? Why didn't you do it? Explain yourself. So... um, I would encourage people to to reach out to people like yourself or get a mentor or just have someone else. Um, It's just so powerful because you don't know what you don't know. And for me, the biggest thing has been the accountability piece by having someone else there. Um, You know, every time I get those advisory board packs together, like I'm thinking about, shit, have we ticked off what we said we were going to do? If we if we hasn't if we haven't why haven't we I've got to put some notes around that so um, yeah it's been a game changer for us so yeah I, I definitely um, agree with everything you're saying yeah the advi- just on the advisory board approach it's a it's a classic mechanism that that any business can put in place so um, uh, you know for example the Australian Institute of Company Directors if you're a member if you're a member of them you go onto their website they've got a whole bunch of stuff on advisory boards which is where I've been accessing some of the information to help people appreciate what they could do and how they could do it. Uh, and at the end of the day, an advisory board, as you're saying, Nick, it's might be two or three or more people, depending on the circumstances, that are meeting with some structure and some consistency and some regularity, and they're meeting to assess where the business is at and has it done what it said it would do, and you're drawing on their experiences and you're drawing on their insights and you're getting an overall better outcome as a result. But the discipline and the accountability is a critical part of that process. and. Again, I think we're all better. We all do better 
if we know that we have to then report back on what we've actually done to people that, uh, you know, that we care about, but people that are also going to make a strong contribution. So that process, I think, can be very effective. Um, look, but I'm mindful of your time. Um, you've been very generous with it. And look, I'd, I'd actually love to get you back on just to and unpack a particular topic because um, I think you your knowledge goes deep on so many things that we could talk all day. So just last question, I think this one's from Jace, probably midway through a pint of Guinness at the moment. I don't know, what time is it over there? Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or maybe, maybe yeah, <laughs> time's irrelevant for that, for that man. Um, what do you think is one of your key attributes that has enabled you to consistently achieve excellent performance in your career? Because it's it's, it's you know, 35 years sounds like a long time, but it's not really, and you've, Gone, you've done a lot of things so you obviously what you do you do it well um so yeah anything that sticks out from a key attribute point of view um that helps you achieve there's a few, there's a few different things i think that um really important to have uh structure around your day your week so i would say that discipline structure consistency is very important people need to know what they're going to get and then get it so if you're lead, particularly if you're leading a business, whether it's your business or someone else's, uh, I think one of the key things that's helped me is that I've tried to be and seemingly probably have been fairly consistent in the way I've turned up and the things that I've done, particularly around this is what we're going to do and then you actually do it. So I think true to, true to label, true to word is very important and to be consistent, whether it's a small business, whether it's a big business, People don't like volatility. They don't want the business leader to be oscillating between he's having a good day, he's having a bad day, what's he like today? That sort of stuff's very unproductive in any business. So I did learn over the years that one of the best things I could do as a leader was to turn up consistently and people would know what to expect and so they weren't spending half the day trying to work out what was going on because they knew what was going to come and it was going to be consistent and they'd seen it before and they'd heard it before and here it is again. And of course, I would have had my good days, my bad days, but trying to keep the sort of the oscillation relatively tight <laughs> and, uh, and just give people a good, consistent experience. It enables success to a greater degree because there's less stress, there's less anxiety, there's less time or energy being spent on trying to work out what might happen tomorrow because everyone's got a much better understanding because they've seen it before. So I do think that consistency for others is gold and I've actually also talked about that notion I do think you get a stability dividend uh, if you can present uh, good consistent leadership that people know what to expect and they actually go ahead and I think then put in further discretionary effort and create effectively a further dividend for the organization because they're allocating their efforts and their energies to doing their job rather than worrying about or thinking about how's the business owner going to behave tomorrow, how's the leader of the business going to behave tomorrow. So I do think that's probably the most important thing I've been able to bring to organisations. That's awesome. Tommy, any more questions from abroad or are we... uh... I could reel off 10 more, but uh, I know we don't have time and you have to come back on, Adrian. So hondrasconsulting.com.au is where they can find you. And if you uh, like this episode, I'm just being Jace for the moment, Nick, so bear with me. Uh, If you like this episode, share it, send it around, uh, follow us on Instagram and uh, all the rest. Yeah, and we'll put some, um, put your website and LinkedIn and stuff in the show notes. Hondo, for anybody who wants to take their business to the next level. No problem. But Tommy, you look like JC, you can round it out. (laughs) I'll come in with Marty right now. Game over. (laughs) Thanks, Hondo.